Welcome to the Practical Employment Law Podcast, a podcast covering all aspects of American employment law. I'm your host, Mark Chumley. Non-compete agreements have been a hot topic in the employment law world lately. This is often the case when a lot of employees move around, and they have been moving lately with all the reductions in force caused by COVID-19. As a result, we've seen an uptick in calls about non-compete agreements. Now, I'm using the term non-compete agreement in a broad sense, and it's usually the case that these agreements include provisions to protect trade secrets and prohibit solicitation of customers and employees, as well as prohibiting unfair competition for some period of time. For the purposes of this episode, I'll refer to all such agreements as non-competes. Now, in the typical case, an employee leaves for some reason, and the former employer learns that the employee is working for a new employer, and in the view of the former employer, violating their non-compete agreement. So in every case involving these agreements, there are three possible players. The former employer, the employee, and the new employer. Typically, the former employer wants to enforce the non-compete agreement. The employee and the new employer want to avoid enforcement of the non-compete agreement, or at least broad enforcement. Now, I've been litigating these matters for a long time, representing all three of our potential parties at various times. I've seen the same issues come up again and again, and unfortunately, the same mistakes. That's what I'll be discussing in this episode. I'm going to give you five mistakes that each of our three parties frequently makes, and what to do about them. Let's start with the former employer. The former employer wants to enforce the non-compete agreement, but there are some common mistakes that interfere with enforcement. Former employer mistake number one, one size fits all agreements. Courts in every jurisdiction are hostile to non-compete agreements because they are a restraint on trade and judges do not like the idea of putting people out of work. As a result, they are very sensitive to overreaching agreements, and employers should consider drafting agreements that are as specific and narrow as possible to protect themselves. This means taking the time to consider the specific issues facing each business and tailoring the agreements to fit the needs. Unfortunately, what we often see are boilerplate agreements that were copied from other businesses, and this often creates an impediment to enforcement. The owner of a neighborhood hair salon who does not want a stylist to steal customers should not be using the same agreement that a Fortune 500 chemical company would give to a research scientist, but it often happens that businesses have employees sign agreements that are disproportionate to the situation, and judges see it and are reluctant to enforce. Former employer mistake number two, administrative failures. If a company decides to use non-compete agreements, it is necessary to make sure that everyone signs the agreement who is supposed to and that the agreements are maintained and can be located when needed. This seems really basic, but I cannot even count the number of times when the critical agreement has been missing in a case I've handled, and it's always a significant issue. Agreements need to be stored in a secure location and should be included in the HR audit process. Employees who do not want to sign non-compete agreements are often very forgetful about signing and returning the agreements, so it is on the employer to make sure it gets done. Former employer mistake number three, inconsistent enforcement. Anytime a company goes to court to enforce a non-compete agreement, it's making the argument that it is necessary to protect its legitimate business interests. In other words, it's a big deal. If the company is not bothered to enforce the agreement in prior cases, this can seriously undercut the argument that it needs to be enforced this time. Managers need to have a litigation strategy in place before an issue arises to avoid piecemeal, inconsistent enforcement. 
Former employer mistake number four, failing to define trade secrets. Trade secrets are at the heart of many non-compete cases, but an issue in many cases is what are the trade secrets? Now, statutory definitions vary, but a classic definition of a trade secret has three parts. Number one, it's information that is not generally known to the public. Number two, it confers economic benefit on the holder because the information is not publicly known. And number three, the holder makes reasonable efforts to maintain its secrecy. The classic example of a trade secret is the secret formula for Coca-Cola, and it meets all three of the criteria I just mentioned. The more specific a company can be about exactly what its trade secrets are, the better. In many cases, this could mean identifying by name a proprietary piece of software, technology, or even a document. This also involves an analysis by the company of whether the supposed trade secret actually meets the definition of a trade secret, which is surprisingly absent in many cases. This brings me to my final former employer mistake. Former employer mistake number five, failing to protect trade secrets. Part of the definition of a trade secret is making an effort to keep it secret. Coca-Cola could not claim the formula was a secret if it was posted on their website or otherwise easily discoverable to the public. By the same token, if a company is not taking steps to protect its trade secrets, it will probably fail to win litigation over a former employee taking them. This means that companies need to take steps to protect their secrets, such as locking up documents, limiting computer access, requiring passwords, making vendors or contractors with access enter into non-disclosure agreements, and so forth. I cannot count the number of times I've encountered claims in litigation that things like price lists are trade secrets, yet the company claiming trade secret status will admittedly give the information to anyone who calls and asks. The takeaway here is that companies need to analyze this issue before there is a lawsuit, rather than trying to argue that everything is a trade secret once they get into court. Now let's shift gears and look at mistakes that employees frequently make. Employee mistake number one, taking documents or information from the former employer. This is the number one thing that makes employees look bad and puts them in a bad position in litigation. It's simple. If you take things from your former employer, you look guilty and perception is often reality in litigation. Also, if you take things, your former employer is far more likely to come after you. The best strategy is to walk away with nothing. Don't take forms or materials, even if you created them for your former employer, and definitely don't take documents related to business strategy. Also, don't assume that your former employer will not find out. I'm surprised at the clear trail employees often leave, such as emailing documents to personal email addresses from their company email, but even a more sophisticated approach is problematic. Many employers' IT capabilities allow them to determine if anyone has removed anything. Also, if there is litigation, this will be an issue, and you will be asked about it under oath. Inspection of personal computers by a forensic expert is a common request in litigation today, and it's often allowed. So better to take the high road. Employee mistake number two, going to a direct competitor. This one seems kind of obvious, but let me unpack it a bit. My statement about one-size-fits-all agreements notwithstanding, most non-compete agreements are drafted somewhat broadly, with the expectation they will not be fully enforced, and this is true in most cases. What companies really want is to stop employees from going to their direct competitors where they can really do damage to their business. This kind of direct threat is usually what will get a court's attention as well. If you pick any major business in any field, whether it's running shoes or soda or beer or sports cars, 
you can identify the main players in the market. The same thing is true in most every business. Employees of the local electrical contractor or pool installation company know who their main competition is in their markets. Despite this, employees routinely jump ship to their employer's biggest competitors doing the exact same job. They are begging to get sued if they have a non-compete. And this leads me to the next mistake. Employee mistake number three, not disclosing a non-compete agreement to the new employer. At some point during the interview process, the employee should disclose his or her non-compete with the former employer if there is any possibility that it could be an issue. Very often, the new employer is included in litigation, and getting sued unexpectedly is not pleasant and will not make the new employer want to help the employee. In many cases, the new employer avoids further issues when litigation is filed by simply terminating the employee. Better to disclose the issue to the new employer, and if they want no part of potential litigation, you can find out ahead of time. Otherwise, the employee may find themselves unemployed and a party to a lawsuit. Employee mistake number four, relying on rumors. Here are some statements I've heard from employees in litigation. I heard that another guy left the company and went to the same new employer I'm considering, and the company didn't do anything. I heard that the company never enforces non-competes. I heard that the company tried to enforce a non-compete agreement a few years ago and lost, so they can't enforce them now, etc., etc. It's amazing how many of these rumors seem to be flying around every workplace, but don't rely on them. Even if there is some truth to them, things change, attitudes and management change, and every situation is different. You can't rely on rumors or assumptions about what the company may or may not do. It's probably better to assume they would try to enforce your agreement and plan accordingly. Employee mistake number five, working for the new employer while still employed by the former employer. This is another all-too-common scenario that makes the employee look terrible. In fact, many states recognize specific claims based on this called breach of duty of loyalty. Now, obviously, this doesn't apply in every scenario. A car salesperson who has a second job bartending at night is not what we're talking about. But if you're going from one full-time job to another and doing anything for the new job during the regular workday at the old job, or if there's any possibility that you could be privy to information at the old job that would be useful to the new employer, you should wait until your old employment ends to begin the new job. If you start working for the new employer while collecting a paycheck from the former employer, it will look very bad in litigation. Finally, let's turn to mistakes that the new employer often makes with non-compete agreements. New employer mistake number one, not asking the employee about non-competes during the interview process. I have encountered employers over the years that take a head-in-the-sand approach and never ask employees about non-competes. This doesn't work for several reasons. First, employees often voluntarily disclose their non-competes. Second, not knowing does not prevent litigation. Even if the new employer can dodge a claim that they knew about the non-compete, there still may be litigation. This will lead to expense and distraction from business at a minimum. Better to know where things stand up front and make decisions based on the facts. New employer mistake number two, poaching the competition's employees. I touched on this in the employee mistakes section, but it belongs here too. If you go after your main competitor's employees, you are begging to get sued. Despite this, the new employer is often surprised when they are included in litigation by the former employer. If you hire an employee from a competitor and the employee has a non-compete agreement, 
you need to think through the possibility of a lawsuit in your response if it comes. Will you go to bat for your new employee or terminate them and move on? If you will go to bat for them, does that include covering their legal fees and your own and possibly contributing to a settlement? The answers to these questions may be different in different cases, but it makes sense to consider them before hiring that employee. New employer mistake number three, allowing the employee to violate his or her non-compete. It is possible to legitimately hire an employee with a non-compete and not violate it. Let's say you hire a sales employee from a competitor and he has a non-compete that says he cannot sell within a 25-mile radius of the location where he worked. You can hire him and comply with this restriction by placing him outside that radius. But the new employer needs to police this and make sure violations do not occur. Too often, the new employer meets with the employee at the outset, and everyone agrees that the employee will comply with his non-compete for however long it runs. What often happens is that people forget those restrictions before they expire, or the employee indirectly violates the agreement by assisting others in the background within the forbidden territory. When the former employer starts losing customers, they get suspicious, file a lawsuit, and everything is looked at under a microscope. If you decide to hire an employee with a non-compete and work around it, you need to make sure that violations do not occur. New employer mistake number four, allowing the new employee to upload documents to company servers. Many companies now restrict who may upload documents and other material onto company servers, and that's a good idea. I mentioned earlier that the employee should not take any documents from the former employer. If that happens, the one thing that makes it even worse is if the employee uploads any of that material onto the new employer's computer system. If that occurs and there is litigation, it opens the new employer's computer systems up to broad discovery requests. The former employer will want to see if its trade secrets are on the new employer's computers as a way to prove its claims. This will result in a burdensome and costly court fight over access to the new employer's computer system. The new employer will then have to fight to protect its trade secrets from being disclosed in litigation. What a mess. A clear policy conveyed to new hires can avoid that scenario. If nothing is ever loaded onto the computer system, there's no reason to look at it. New employer mistake number five, asking the employee to do work while they are still employed by the former employer. As I mentioned in the employee mistake section, working for the new employer while still being paid by the former employer looks bad for the employee. And it's also a bad look for the new employer. If there is litigation, the new employer will be accused of trying to use the employee as a spy to get trade secrets and other information from the former employer. This is easily avoided by waiting to have the employee work until after they are officially on board. Well, there you have it. Five non-compete mistakes to avoid for former employers, employees, and new employers. I have them listed in the show notes if you want to refer back. This has been the Practical Employment Law Podcast. Thanks for listening. Please watch for future episodes wherever you get podcasts. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review. If you would like to contact me about any aspect of the podcast, my email address is mchumley at kmklaw.com, and my full contact information is in the show notes. This podcast was created for general informational purposes only and does not constitute legal advice or a solicitation to provide legal services. Although we attempt to ensure that the podcast is complete, accurate, and up-to-date, we assume no responsibility for its completeness, accuracy, or timeliness. 
The information in this podcast is not intended to create, and listening to it does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. Listeners should not act upon this information without seeking professional legal counsel.